Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Hello, and welcome to the Vice and Easy podcast. I'm Marina. As you can tell, I'm a little bit under the weather this week. That's why I do apologize. This episode is a few hours late, um, and I'm trying my best to not sound like Lisa in the future when she starts gambling with Homer. Are you sure, ma'am? Don't tell me what to do, sonny. I've been gambling since I was eight, and I've been hocking jewelry since I was 12. Now give me some chips. So I'll try to make my voice sound as nice as it can for the remainder of the episode. This week, we're going to be covering Give a Little, Take a Little, Episode 10. So we're at Season 1, Episode 10. Here is the plot synopsis from IMDb. In court, Crockett refuses to identify an informant and spends more time in jail than the drug dealer he is trying to bust. Gina and Trudy infiltrate a prostitution ring. Gina is placed in a compromising position when they are suspicious that she is not a hooker. And so just like last week with Glades, we open up on a montage, kind of the seedier parts of Miami. But however, Tina Turner is playing in the background. Let's listen. This montage has a lot. Um, I took a screenshot of the... No, I don't, how do I describe this? Kind of like the show times of this video parlor. Is that the correct movie parlor? Uh, that features things for people of different sexual orientations and in English and in Spanish, which I think was very ahead of its time for 1984. So that that definitely caught my eye. Gina and Trudy are having fun at the lingerie store. There's a hooker who kicks a car when she's walking down the street. And then after the montage, we cut to Crockett and Tubbs looking very handsome and well-dressed. Very, very, very. Crockett is wearing like a dark orange undershirt underneath his suit. Spectacular. Very well dressed. So walking down the street, again, Crockett recognizes uh, one of the prostitutes that he knows. And I know that, you know, like he does have this undercover life. But part of me was like, hmm, recently separated, huh? And guess who's back? They're here to visit Noogie. So Noogie kind of goes on the same rant as always. He wants to try to sell them crap. But Crockett knows how to speak his language in this next clip. (laughs) <laughs> my man, I see you know how to deal with the noog, man. You understand what I'm saying? That 50, man, I know this dude named Trick Baby that hang downtown, man. You know what I'm saying? He gave me some info last week that may be helpful to you. You know what I mean, man? And so, obviously, seeing the $50 bill, Noogie gets talking, starts to tell them a few leads that he has about different drug shipments coming in. Um, he mentions this guy called Trick Daddy or Trick Baby that we'll see later in the episode as well. So again, same kind of high-pitched, a little bit nonsensical, but you know, giving them some information. Basically talking about this warehouse, and we'll get to that in a second. Intro plays, we're back at the precinct for roll call. I hope this is the right term. It's kind of like when you like, this is what you're doing today, blah, 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 or a team meeting. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Team meeting. And so Crockett and Tubbs say that Noogie has a lead on some amphetamines at this warehouse. They're going to go check it up. And Castillo wants Zito and Switek to back up Trudy and Gina because they're building up a case against this notorious drug kingpin 
great kingpin who was also involved in prostitution. So they're trying to get more info on him. They're only lower rung now. They're just working the streets, as they say. And because he specializes in high-end escorts and sending girls out on outcalls, which is another phrase you'll hear later on the episode, um, they're still trying to work their way up. So they're talking to a small player now called Cinco, who works with them at this club, which is the burlesque club that we opened at. And I do, I took a, a few pictures of the club. It's very, it's not at all a seedy club. Like it looks like it's very lavish with the costumes and the presentation and the music. Now this guy is pretty evil and Castillo kind of warns everybody what he's truly capable of in this next clip. Cover him. I don't want anything to go wrong. I'd rather blow the investigation and lose somebody. Two girls, very well carved on female bodies, floated up in the uh, beach in Broward. Well, they were former Ramirez girls. They're starting their own outcall service. Don't get yourself compromised. Now, this secondary plot, um, I really enjoy because of the outfits. Gina's catsuit, she looks great. She has such a perfect figure. She looks so good and so striking, this catsuit. Obviously, there are pictures all over the gallery at viceandeasypodcast.com. Um, I had a lot of fun with this episode just for how beautiful the costumes were, how beautiful Gina and Trudy looked, and their elaborate dresses. Um, it is funny. So they're working the streets, and Zwitek pulls up, and I took a picture. I think I took a GIF, actually. So you can see the high definition. You can't see air quotes. I'm doing the high definition television he has in his limo which in 1984 would be like high tech top of the line. But then obviously now you could probably just install like a flat screen OLED TV. But like this one, you have this tiny little one that's not even in color. It's not in black and white, but it's kind of like that blue scale that you'd have on portable TVs in like the 80s and 90s. So just very funny. I think that's for the younger generation. I hope that you enjoyed these photos of what it was like back in the day, because I obviously have some recollection because I kind of was able to see the latter end of um, that technology kind of fade out and then make way for new technology. But for, you know, you guys born in like 2005, I you must be so entertained. So on the other side of town, Crockett and Tubbs are doing a stakeout. And I noted that Tubbs is wearing socks which is very interesting because number one, very hot in Miami. And that was kind of the reasoning behind why a lot of them did not wear socks because it was just too hot to have the, the I for, oh my God, I used to know the word for this. It was like the brand of leather shoe that they would wear that was cut open um, to let air breathe because it would be so hot and humid in Miami. So it's kind of interesting that Tubbs is wearing socks. Maybe that's a, a New York thing. Whereas Sunny is, you know, Florida born and raised. So maybe because Tubbs come from New York. I always dress a little bit too warm in Los Angeles. And I think that's just coming from the East Coast where you don't know what to prepare for. And you always have to kind of prepare that, like, I might get rained on, or it might just turn very cold suddenly, or what have you. So I think maybe it's that mentality of like, you can always take clothes off, but it's harder to go, you know, in a rainstorm, run and put something on. And so what they're staking out is this warehouse that Noogie has given them intel to. So they go in to get some more info. They find a very young, handsome, handsome. His name is Lenny Van Dolan. Uh, there's not too much feisty on him, but I'll get to more of him at the end. With beautiful, I don't want to say husky-like eyes, but they are piercingly light blue eyes, like ice blue, lighter than uh, most other actors I know. So he, very handsome and striking up front. So unfortunately, this kid's a little bit naive and Crockett and Tubbs can kind of finagle their way in without using all the proper protocol in this next clip. Uh, oh, you should have locked that, Bob. Uh, do you have a warrant? Warrant? 
Well, we can have one here in about five minutes, pal, if you want to go that route. No, I didn't think so. Uh, yeah, don't, don't fall for the same trap that kid did. <laughs> you have the right to ask for a warrant, unless there is probable cause. For example, if you are running away from the police, they might use probable cause as a way to search you to make sure you don't have any weapons. So that is a way that they can get with, um, get away with search and seizure without having a warrant. But however, you know your rights. You know, cops are there for their own interests, so you have every right to protect your own property and your own interest. Um, Also, Sonny as bad cop, he's very good at it, and I don't like it, but obviously, you know, he is doing what he has to do in this situation. So basically, he's kind of going, making sure, seeing what's in there, kind of giving this guy a little bit more grief. Guess this guy uh, empty his pockets and search him while Tubbs has a gun pointed at him, smashes open boxes, and then continues to arrest him. Right? Yeah. You understand? Yeah. Oh, you big time, aren't you, Bob? You push junk, don't you, Bob? Huh? Don't you talk bribes with me, pal. You're in enough trouble as it is. Here. Set up here until I get some help. I'll take him in. Get out there. Well, as you can see, it works. They can tell that this kid is incredibly naive, young, and a little bit too trustworthy. So it continues on from there. And true to the 1980s, uh, let's go for some problematic stuff that Crockett is saying in this next clip. Look at the bottom. That's jail. That's where you're going. And they got guys up there that are going to love you. You gay? I got a wife. Gee, that's too bad, because we're talking five years before you see her again. But uh, I know intrinsically that Crockett is not a bad person, nor is he a bad cop. I know this is an act he's putting on. So then we kind of get to see Crockett's true colors. Once he, get a little, he gets a little bit more information, basically he gets information on where this stuff is going, who's picking it up, where is it going. This guy talks. He gives him an address in North Miami. And this is like before 1984. Like, I'm very impressed that he just has this address memorized. I guess, you know, back in the day you had to. You couldn't just have your friend's address saved on Google Maps. Like, you actually had to know the address. So he has it. He gives the name Sally Alvarado, um, which is, I've never heard Sally as a nickname for, I'm assuming, Salvador. So that's new. Um, and then we'll get to see Michael Madsen. He's uh, Sally Alvarado. So you get to see him in a few scenes. Yeah, so he he talks quickly. And then obviously Crockett changes his tune. And this is back to Crockett being good cop. You do nothing. Let them make their pickup just as usual. Relax. Nothing's changed. Go home and be with your wife. Go home, kid. And now we're going to switch gears. We're going to go back to the club where uh, Trudy and Zito are keeping an eye on Gina. She's sitting alone at the bar and she's talking to this guy, Cinco. Cinco looks like a huge douchebag. First off, I took a gif of him taking off his jacket and handing it to a guy who was clearly not Kochek and clearly not impressed. And just giving it the death stare the whole scene. Kudos to this actor. Kudos to this background actor. Said so much without saying one single word. And in short, Cinco, this, the host of the Burlesque Club too. That's also his job. He's the host. He kind of introduces the show. Very elaborate outfits. He's getting on Gina's case about Trudy not um, being with Zito. Just, you know, uh, Zito kind of makes some 
joke to kind of get her riled up and then she puts on this act and tells him you know hey I don't take pictures with nobody so he's not happy and taking it on Gina in this next clip turn around turn around you always have to mess up the merchandise don't you it's a really gross scene like he grabs her by the neck and like forces her head around. It's really uncomfortable. She gives him some money. She says she can bring in a lot more if she can meet this gentleman, Ramirez, and get off the streets. So now it's daytime. Crocodile Tubs are going in Tubbs' car, which is a Cadillac Coudeville, which is very beautiful. It's a very beautiful light blue color. I took a picture of it in the gallery. They get to this house, and the sign says no peddlers. So Crockett and Tubbs, I don't even think they knock on the door. I think they just kind of make a little bit of sound. And he shoots through the glass, and I'm trying not to laugh at this, but it was just very funny the way Crockett dryly says, this guy must be serious. Because he has the no peddler sign. Basically, no solicitors. Um, Unfortunately, I do not have a clip of it. I do not know what happened. I had a little bit of technical issues as well this week. Why not have everything? Everything that can go wrong will go wrong. But very funny scene. I think because there was too much gunfire in it um, or just didn't work out. But yes, the Crockett's Crockett's one-liners. Chef's kiss. Even funnier. So after this little minor shootout, this beautiful Ford Bronco barrels out of the garage, which is closed, by the way. So he knocks off the garage door and you can see him as he's driving off. It's Michael Madsen, by the way, as Sally Alvarado. As he's driving off, he like picks up a piece of the garage door from his windshield, throws it onto the ground. (laughs) Can you imagine just like not even waiting for the garage door to open on this beautiful new what looks like new Ford Bronco very interesting so basically he barrels out of the garage door so Crockett and Tubbs start racing him down the neighborhood get on this high-speed chase start shooting at each other obviously Alvarado shoots first then they both end up stopping Alvarado ends up kind of going onto the beach which again these poor people on the beach I think this is the second episode we're only in episode 10 where a car has vereened onto the beach and onto the park next to the beach on Ocean avenue where people are you know obviously having a picnic and relaxing like that's very terrifying that's very terrifying because not all sidewalks have the cement pillars to prevent it i know a lot of t junctions or t intersections have it i know um in toronto it took a girl getting killed by a drunk driver careening into a bar for them to do it at some t intersection so that's very scary it's very scary all around i think that should definitely be a thing at the beach is just to have pillars protecting anywhere where people are sitting down enjoying relaxing it's very scary and you don't have time to react so aside from that obviously they get out not happy crockett and tubs and they arrest sally alvarado And this is a little fun one for any of those who are not living in states or provinces. I don't think any province has this where you don't have to have a front license plate. California, you have to have both. In Ontario, I had to have both. So in Florida, you don't. So it's fun. You get to see that the Bronco was bought from Rainbow Ford. Cowboy Cadillac. Sorry, I had to go look that up. I had to go look at my notes. And so now we cut back. We are back in the club. Gina is sitting with Switek, Zito, and Trudy. Z Switek mentions that 
He's starting to enjoy this thing called show business, which foreshadows something very cringy and awkward that we'll get to later on in this episode. So finally, Gina is introduced to this bigwig. Uh, Cinco, the host, basically goes to her table and says, it's time, and brings her upstairs, kicks the other two girls out of the booth, which I think is hilarious. So he can she can finally talk to this guy, Ramirez, this bigwig that she's been trying to get to. So she and Ramirez get to talking. Basically, he's asking what he wants from, what she wants from him. Basically, what she says is that she's looking for protection, that she's from Chicago. She's had some trouble and that she moved to Miami to work on her business. More high rollers, more vacationers, more conventioners, more out of town call out jobs than she was dealing with back in Chicago. But because she said she was having some trouble back in Chicago, this is something that Ramirez remembers and she lays it on and this act works and they finally get to talking what her rate is a thousand dollars a night in 1984 which right now in today's dollars would be two thousand seven hundred and fifty two dollars you go girl a thousand a throw she's expensive I'm worth it yeah. <laughs> my end Perhaps uh, some personal favor? As long as I pay, it's just business. And again, the way this guy is dressed is exactly what you would imagine um, a drug and prostitution kingpin would wear in the 80s. They're both drinking champagne. It's a lot of cheesiness. I did take a couple pictures of it because Gina actually looks beautiful in this scene. It's a black sequin dress with like um, different designs on it. Beautiful, beautiful. Fits her very well. The next scene, Croc and Tubbs are visiting to uh, visiting a lawyer that Croc knows from back in the day. It is Terry O'Quinn. You'll know him from Lost. He was also in The Stepfather. Um, but I did not recognize him because he's so young and has hair. So, sorry. I hope that wasn't well, that wasn't harsh. But yeah, I was like, wait, wait, that that's the guy, uh, baby faced. So he represents Alvarado, and he has some uh, news for Crockett. Your warrant is based on information from a confidential source. I'll need to know the identity of your informant for my client's defense. I'm doing you a favor by telling you now instead of in court. My informants are mine, pal, and they stay that way. It'll be an issue in my pretrial motion to beat the warrant. Existing case laws on my side. The lawyer also does mention to Crockett that because Alvarado's bail was posted so quickly that this case clearly involves people of means. And I like the way that he says that. He's kind of getting at what we all know, that this is an organized crime ring and that people are looking out for Alvarado because he is very important to their business. And I don't want to say the word noble, but I do think it is maybe commendable that this lawyer that has obviously had some sort of relationship with Crockett in the past, it doesn't seem to be a good one, is warning him of what his actions will bring. And I'm not saying that the lawyer's on the right side, but I'm saying that it's somewhat noble, I said I wasn't going to use that word, but too late, for him to disclose what could happen. So, spoiler alert, we all know what happens, but I do think, I, I, I was kind of impressed by the lawyer's tact in this, in this situation. And speaking of not being noble, Crockett does bring up the point that Alvarado could have easily killed Crockett and Tubbs and what would have happened then, you know? So I can see the frustration on Crockett's side and Tubbs to a lesser extent. 
All right, so now we're in the home of Bob Rickard, who is the guy guarding the warehouse, the very beautiful, husky-eyed one, and his very pretty wife. And let's just say that they are very beautiful. However, I don't think they're going to be winning an Emmy Award for guest star. I did a really stupid thing. I got involved selling drugs with these guys from school. What? Oh, <laughs> I laughed out loud. That scene, I was like, oh, wow. They are very beautiful, very beautiful couple, but that not really convincing acting on my part, on, the, on their part. I really love her outfit. I took a picture. I really like her haircut. And the outfit is just a very simple white linen dress, a little bit baggy with a nice light blue belt and that you could still wear today. I think it would just look appropriate today as it did in 1984. Very classic beauty too. Obviously, uh, these, these guys were not hired on their acting prowess. Now, I did not play the rest of that clip for obvious reasons. <laughs> Very hard to get through. But Bob, or Bobby as he's known, is telling his wife that he wants to get out of town. And then we cut to the precinct. Crockett's on the phone. And Crockett is telling the person that he's on the phone with not do anything rash and not to call him back from his home phone. From possibly a pay phone or some other phone at the time. But not from his home phone. Turns out he's talking to Bobby. This guy wants to talk. He's getting all nervous. He's getting all freaked out. So Crockett is trying to protect him by not having any phone calls to the Miami-Dade Metro Police being able to be traced back to him. And Tubbs tells Crockett that Alvarado has already been investigated for attempted murder and murder. The Bronco was not stolen. And Crockett talks about, Crockett and Tubbs talk about the possibility of hiding Bobby since he's so scared. And when Crockett and Tubbs talk to Castillo about this, Castillo says that he put three charges on him and someone spent a lot of money to get him out. And Castillo also touches on the subject we spoke about last week, that Crockett has now been subpoenaed for his informant info. If you are subpoenaed to show up in court and do not show up or do not testify, you will be held in contempt of court. So now Castillo is explaining it. We blow the case if we identify the informant. They'll attack the affidavit for warrants, plus I'll have a canary out on a limb. They get a judge who wants to push the issue. You can go to jail on a contempt citation if you don't name that informant. All right, now we're down to the court scene. Crockett actually looks so good. It's a periwinkle blue blazer with um, that same... Lime green, but not bright lime green. The lime undershirt that he was wearing in um, The Great McCarthy during the pool scene looks so handsome. Beautiful colors. Crockett um, Tubbs also looks very handsome as well. They're always handsome, and I say this every single episode. I'm just like, oh, they're so well-dressed, so well-dressed, so well-dressed. But I think that color combo on Crockett is immaculate. And so let's get down to it. Uh, no surprise here. Crockett is sticking to his guns, and... No one else is having it. Mr. Kane has brought up an interesting point of law. His client has the right to know his accuser for purposes of questioning. So on that motion, I hold for the defense. Ooh, all right. And again, Crockett is sticking to his guns. He is not going to give up his informant. He knows that if he gives up the informant, not only is the case donezo, so is the informant as well. So I really do commend Crockett for looking out for his informant. Now, I know this is not completely altruistic. He's also looking out for his case. But we saw how he kind of treated Leon and how Tubbs was more 
emotionally um, attuned to what could happen to Leon and kind of, you know, took more of an interest in protecting him. So I think this is very interesting. Maybe, I don't know, maybe this is like a little change of tune or Crockett is just a little bit more um, steadfast in his ways. But I do really appreciate that he will not budge on this issue and that he is willing to go to court for it and he is not happy about it. With existing case law on his side, with precedent already being set, it's very hard to have the judge reverse their opinion or reverse their thought process. But I really do like what he says in this next clip. I order you here and now to comply with this court. I'm sorry, Your Honor, but I cannot do that. Then I have no alternative but to hold you in contempt of court and instruct the bailiff to take you into custody for 30 days or until this court is satisfied. You know as well as I do that it's my job to deal with informants. If I give you one, I may as well give you all of them because nobody on the streets is ever going to trust me again. You have disobeyed a direct order from this court. I'm a police officer! I will not stand for I'm a police officer! Well, according to Tina Bond's hearing on the contempt charge. Court is a... Crockett is right. That is his job. His job is to go undercover and get information from this. I don't want to say the streets, but from the streets. And it could completely jeopardize his career. Also, 30 days seems super harsh. Also, I don't think cops can be in general population. I think he'd have to be in protective custody or he would have to be in. I don't think they would put him in solitary confinement. Um, I know there's been a lot of talk about solitary confinement and basically being inhumane. So I do not think they would put a police officer in the 80s in solitary confinement. When they cut to him in jail, he looks very handsome, smoking a cigarette with, I believe it says Jake 1959 carved into the walls. And he seems to be in a cell by himself. So it does not seem as if he's in gen pop or, you know, has any roommates. So it seems like he's just on his own. And then cut back, back to Bobby's house and the Emmy award winning acting when he tells his wife that Crockett is in jail because he refused to give him up. And speaking of jail, I have Elvis's legal minute coming right up. (laughs) Speaking of Crockett smoking in jail, now you cannot smoke in jail. Why is that? I learned about this from an episode of the Trailer Park Boys. So apparently in around 2005, 2006, 2007, most U.S. states and territories and Canada banned smoking from prisons. Some jails you can get away with, like smaller time county jails, apparently they kind of just look the other way. They don't care. So apparently it is illegal or is not allowed that you can smoke indoors in most places um, and then you can smoke outdoors. Apparently only in Arizona can you smoke in prison outdoors. So there's my fun fact for the day. It does have to do, apparently there was a lawsuit brought up by a gentleman who was on serving life sentence and a non-smoker and that he complained that the secondhand smoke was affecting his health. Therefore, it impedes someone's right to live a life um, to live the life that they can best can have. It's basically impeding on someone else's life for your own gain in that kind of setting. And hence why, you know, obviously you can't smoke in restaurants, you can't smoke in airplanes, you can't smoke in buildings. So prison was kind of the last one. I also read somewhere that apparently it was just the Federal Bureau of Prisons banned it completely, but then I read that Arizona, you could smoke outside. So word to the wise. I also read that because cigarettes have been removed from prison commissaries since 2007, Um, The huge black market for cigarettes means that packs can run anywhere from two to five hundred dollars a pack, which is insane. 
prices apparently start at $15 for a cigarette in prison. That is wild. But however, if your religion wills it so, you are allowed to smoke for religious ceremonies and religious purposes um, with approval from guards and from you know whoever's running the prisons but yes apparently you cannot just smoke recreationally inside or outside except for arizona fun fact so now on a completely different note gina is looking spectacular in this long white fringed i believe it's silk dress and she's going to ramirez's house to talk business cinco is there cinco is not a fan of her at all he basically asked her like what she's doing here and when she meets with Ramirez, she basically lays it out what she wants. He says that he's going to introduce her to people and her on business trip. And then he invites her to a house party later that day that he says he's going to use to introduce her to all the big wigs he knows. So as they're leaving, Cinco is again giving her attitude. And then Cinco is telling Ramirez that he thinks there's a rat in the midst. Cinco tells Ramirez that there's been a surveillance van parked in Little Havana and he's worried that there that there's an informant that someone is wearing a wire trying to get closer to them. Where is a wire tap? There's an informant. How long has that girl Paula been around? A couple of months. Everything's been very smooth. Now there's more arrests, revenue drops off. Uh, and basically they end a conversation with Ramirez telling Cinco to basically take Gina slash Paula out. And then Gina and Trudy meet up together at a cafe. And Gina starts telling Trudy about her plan, that which she's been invited to. Trudy wants to come along for the ride to be her backup and doesn't go so well. He wants me to have dinner with him tonight. Dinner? Yeah, business. He's having other people come. Top people. But you can't go without backup. And take me as your friend. I can't. Basically, in short, Gina won't budge, won't listen to Trudy. Trudy kind of, not really storms off, but she kind of walks off in a huff. Well, at least I have some good news. Crockett has been sprung from jail, walks back into the precinct with everybody clapping and cheering, and then later talks to Tubbs and Castillo. Rickard went into Kane's office and identified himself as your informant. While you were sitting, he, he called here, heard about it in the newspaper. He was real upset. Everything I tried to do to calm him down, nothing would work, man. There was no way to know, man. No way to stop him. Yeah, great. And Crockett is rightfully upset for a few reasons. Uh, Crockett also mentions that, you know, tell that to his widow, you know, because now he's not only identified himself as an informant, he will also presumably recant and not testify. Therefore, Alvarado would be a free man. Uh, so unfortunately, the whole case is pretty much in jeopardy. And now Bobby's life is too. And now, on a more depressing note, Gina goes to Ramirez's house. Welcomed in by a guard, walks in, realizes there's nobody else there but Ramirez and his goon. Ramirez tries to get with her, pushing her, 
she declines. She says, just want to keep it strictly business. And basically he asks if she's a hooker or something else. And because she's alone in this notorious drug lord's house who has had two girls that no longer work for him or that stopped working for him, murdered and carved up and dropped into this, the ocean. She knows that she doesn't have a chance of getting out of the situation alive if she doesn't sleep with him. And it's a really uncomfortable scene. He's really rough and really gross. Oh, well, next scene's actually really like beautifully shot. So there's a little bit of happy news. You can see it in the gallery. There's one a shot of them that I put in my Faye 5 of them, Crockett and Tubbs sitting on the car while they're talking to Noogie and... Trick baby, not trick daddy. Sorry, trick baby. I just really like the shot. You kind of just see like greens and blues and just a beautiful nighttime shot. So this is a little bit happier news. So basically, Crockett's got a lot of street cred from taking the jail time. My man Crockett did time rather than give up his informants. Yeah, legit respect for that. So basically, um, trick baby knows a lot more about Alvarado than Noogie does. So Noogie kind of brings him in to give a little bit more detail. Oh, Trick Baby's voice. He's been smoking a long time. I mean, Alvarado's a bad dude. He's an enforcer for the man who runs everything in this town. Gambling, junk, girls. What about him talking about the dude? Who is this dude? Who are you talking about? Lupo Ramirez. All right, so now they have more information that Alvarado and Ramirez are in the same boat working together. So now that they have that link between Alvarado and Ramirez, Trick Baby gives him some even worse news. Basically, he explains a little bit more about Ramirez and that Ramirez has figured a girl in his crew to be a snitch and that there's going to be a, a hit on her. And when they ask for the name, he says the name Paula and it clicks in Crockett and Tubbs' head. That's, G that's Gina. They race off in that recycled b-roll footage of the spider hitting a bump and flying sparks as they race towards Gina in the night and Gina is standing alone in her apartment looking out through the back door phone is off the hook and when I mean off the hook it is physically off the hook the phone is on the floor and the receiver is separate so no calls can come in and it's right next to the dress that she wore to Ramirez's house Trudy comes in, is really worried about Gina, and then she figures out what happened once Gina asks her to burn the dress. So as Trudy's consoling Gina, they hear gunshots. So Cinco, the, the little very well-dressed guy, he is on the hunt to take out Gina. So he's in her complex. Luckily, Crockett and Tubbs also get there at the same time. So shootout happens. There is a great gif I cut of... Cinco jumping through the window to get onto Gina's balcony and to fire through the door but it's just great stunt and like great execution for whoever this stuntman was in that scene on a shallow note Gina's art deco apartment complex is gorgeous love it it's like soft lilac and green accoutrements and detailing and molding chef's kit however after the shootout um, Cinco's trying to run away they get him I think it's Trudy. Trudy gets him. He's still alive, but he is very willing to talk. He is he is ready to spill the beans. He's going to kill the guy who set him up. He knows who it is. The cops got him stashed, but he'll find him. Believe me. Come on. Come on, pal. I need more. I've 
been with Alvarado when he's killed. I'm dying. You take care of me. I'll help you. And so a little bit more questioning. Crockett kind of goes in on him a little bit more. He says that Alvarado, if they can find him at, I believe it's Club Ocho is the club that they've been going to. I hope I heard that correctly. I hope that I wrote that down correctly. And so Crockett and Tubbs race over to the club to finally get their man. And so while we're at the club, we are also subject to Stan's very short-lived MC career in this next clip. Well, I'd like to do a couple impressions for you tonight to kind of get the show going. Uh, I think the first one, we don't need any introduction at all. I think you know who it is. Red, Sonny, and Dr. Nick. Well, let's get Mama and get the Cadillac, get some chicken, and some pizza. Thank you. And a surprise to no one, the only one laughing at Zwitek's jokes is Zito. And Zwitek kind of makes a joke that Zito's his manager. Now, in the same club, Tubbs decides to join Sally Alvarado and tell him that it's all over. But Sally actually has a very funny comeback. That's very funny. You ought to take your act up there on the stage. I think the people would enjoy it. <laughs> That's some very good subtle shade on Michael Madsen's part. Excellent, excellent comedic delivery. So after he brushes off Tubbs, he gets up to leave, not wanting to be put under arrest. Guess who's there to stop him? It's our boy Crockett waiting in the wings. Nice life. Or you don't have to come along at all. Great line. Great delivery. That's a great way to almost end up this episode. But at least we're ending the Sally Alvarado storyline. He's under arrest. Now, speaking of arrests, Gina, Trudy, go to Ramirez's house. They have one of his goons already. And they basically tell Ramirez that it's over. He's under arrest. Ramirez is brandishing a knife. Um, it looks to be, I'm not good with knives as a vegetarian. I only know like switchblades and stuff. Um, it looks to be kind of like a, like a fish carving knife. Like it looks very long and sharp. So basically surprise, surprise, Ramirez is being a complete dirtbag and basically saying that, you know, she won't shoot him, that they spent so much time, so much wonderful time together. They mean so much to each other. And so when he starts getting the knife a little, when he starts moving that knife, Gina shoots him. And honestly, as I wrote in my notes, good for her. So now Crockett is at Ramirez's house as Ramirez's body is being wheeled out. We don't know whether he lives or dies. Crockett comes to the scene. There's no dialogue. There's just a really nice song playing in the background. Crockett just comes, hugs her, comforts her, and that's the end of the episode. All right, so let's wrap things up and let's get on to some Vice Tea. So the Vice Tea isn't super salacious this week. Um, actually, I only have some, I have some sad Michael Madsen tea. His son recently committed suicide and he was arrested for trespassing shortly afterwards. Um, you'll know him from a lot of Quentin Tarantino movies like Kill Bill and Reservoir Dogs, but my Lord, was he handsome back in the day. Anne O'Neill, who plays Bobby's wife, uh, no credits after 1988, very pretty, very classic look, uh, maybe not the strongest actress. So whatever she's doing now, I hope she's doing well. So Ramirez, you'll recognize Ramirez from The Sopranos and from Rocky. His name is Burt Young. Um, 
I, for one, am not surprised at all that someone whose shirt was open the entire episode would be guest starring on The Sopranos. And then Lenny Van Dolan, I hope I'm saying that correct. He is Bobby with the very light husky eyes. He was in Twin Peaks. He was also voice on Red Dead Redemption 2 as the pedestrian population. So I don't know if that meant that he was one of like the, the townspeople voices. I thought that was very interesting. Now, when the credits rolled, I saw Garcelle Beauvais. And I was like, wait, Garcelle? I don't remember seeing her in this. She is in another episode and she's also in Manhunter. She's also um, on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And she was also in Jimmy Fox show. Very beautiful. And I was really excited to see her. So apparently her scene got cut. She was a waitress at Club Ocho, but they kept her in the credits anyway, which I thought was kind of a nice gesture. Now, Terry O'Quinn, who was playing uh, Richard Kane, Crockett's lawyer frenemy. Um, I never saw Lost, I know. I guess during that time, I was in middle school, high school. It just didn't click with me, I think, because I was already so invested at 24 in the time. Having two weekly shows before the age of streaming, having two weekly shows that you really had to keep up on and never miss an episode, I think it was just too much for me at the time, and so I sided with 24 instead of Lost. However, maybe now looking back on it, I should watch Lost. I think the last season and the last episode I should skip, according to a lot of my friends, but I've heard that there are great things about Lost, and I am into shows um, similar like Yellow Jackets about survival, so I think Lost would be very interesting for me. Uh, but I had an Entertainment Weekly subscription since I was in grade 8 until, well, it doesn't really, it, it's, it's ceased publication, so I had an Entertainment Weekly subscription for 20 years. So I knew a lot about Lost and I read up a lot about it, but I never actually watched it. He is also in the movie called The Stepfather, which is currently on my YouTube TV DVR. So I was going to watch it yesterday, but as you can tell by my voice, not feeling so hot, uh, tossed and turned till 5 a.m. So unfortunately, I did not get around to watching it, but I will watch it. I've heard uh, good things about it from a horror movie. He was also in Heaven's Gate. If you've never seen Heaven's Gate, you are not missing anything. Heaven's Gate was known as being one of the most bloated movies. I think it's three and a half hours for the director's cut. I personally sat through the first 45 minutes, which nothing happens in college for American film studies class. And I, it wasn't so much to watch the movie because it was good. It was to basically, we learned about bombs. So I think we learned about this, um, Ishtar and Howard the Duck. So movies to definitely avoid. Actually, yeah, How the Duck was really weird. I would not recommend watching that. And I watched that, I think, recently, so not even as a kid, but I heard people watch it as a kid are just like, what is this? But fun fact, How the Duck is actually the first Marvel Universe movie. All right, now let's get down to some... So in short, I think Gina's white fringe dress, Gina's black sequined dress and Gina's catsuit. Gina is the best dress of this whole episode. Followed closely by Cinco in the blue leisure suit with all the gold accessories while he's removing his sunglasses. Obviously, I put that in the gallery. Then I would also put Crockett's periwinkle blue blazer and his lime green undershirt outfit before he goes to jail. That and the dark orange both really resonate for me. Both great colors on him, and I believe these are both looks that have been recycled, which is actually very refreshing to see because now, you know, a lot with fast fashion and with Instagram and social media, you don't really see people openly re-wearing outfits. And this is episode 10, and I already recognize the shirts, so I appreciate that. It's better for the environment. Cinco's host outfit, also amazing. The white leisure suit. It's kind of like a white sparkly pink leisure suit. The showgirls and the showman. 
Honestly, this is just an episode full of amazing outfits from the 80s. Now, let's get to music. All right, we have a couple songs from this episode. I really like the instrumental when they kept playing at the club that was kind of like the sexy calypso beat. I enjoyed that. So the songs from this episode, we open with Better Be Good To Me by Tina Turner, You Want More by Etta James during the unfortunate scene with Ramirez and Gina, and then Today's a Beginning by Brian Ray. So obviously I'm gonna go with Tina Turner with my girl. Also just because that song was just used in like a, just like a more fun way than the other songs that were dealing with sexual assault and the aftermath of sexual assault. So I'm just keeping it light this week. All right, as we wrap this episode, let me do my Faye Five. Hopefully, they're your Faye Five as well. Number one is going to be Zwitex Limousine with the quote-unquote high-definition television. Number two is the elaborate showgirl outfits. I really like the burnt orange sequins. Very glamorous combo. Number three, it's not even the scene with Trick Baby. It's just how this scene is shot with Crockett and Tubbs sitting on the Ferrari uh, talking to Noogie and Trick Baby. And it's just, I love the lighting. I love the outfits. You can really see the pop in Don Johnson's periwinkle suit. Everyone looks really great in this shot. Really enjoy it. Tubbs is in kind of like an off-white, maybe like a gray striped blazer with like a soft lilac undershirt. I'm sorry, dress shirt. Yeah, just everybody looks great. And it's just very iconic to see the white shoes without socks that Don Johnson's wearing. Like that's what you think of when you think of Miami Vice. Number four, no surprise, Cinco in the unbuttoned bright blue leisure suits. <laughs> with the gold chains, the watch, the rings, as he's taking off his sunglasses with the mustache. It is just impeccable. And then my last fave five is Cinco's somersault through the window. Kudos to that stuntman. I just really enjoyed that too. I thought that was very well executed. And with that, we wrap up the episode. Once again, I do apologize for my voice. Um, I do feel like I'm a bulldog breathing through my mouth since my nose is so congested. Should just be allergies. So thank you for bearing with me. Next week, I should sound a whole lot better. Again, I do apologize for the delay on this week's episode release. If you like me, rate, review me. You can find me at Vice and Easy Podcast, wherever you find your podcast. Find the website at viceandeasypodcast.com to check out the gallery. You can also see it in the episode description. If you want to follow me on TikTok and Instagram, you can find me at Vice and Easy Podcast. Thanks again for listening, guys. See you next week. And don't forget. Hey, man. Miami Wise is number one new show.